We are so excited to be back again. This is Jordan and I'm Jill, and we are your GM Kids pastors here at Genesis Metro. And we are so excited. We just want to take a couple moments to thank pastors Tim and Carrie for allowing us a few more minutes to talk on stage a little bit about what GM Kids is like on a Sunday morning. And y'all, our worship here is fire. It is amazing. Yes. And we have phenomenal preaching. It's awesome. But the most fun to be had is across that plaza in the next building in GM Kids. It is the most fun ever. And our GM Kids ministry encompasses babies through fifth grade. And we just have so much fun. We love being able to serve your children because we get to tailor sharing God's word to each age differently, which is really cool. So babies, it might look like we're, you know, cuddling and praying over them. And trust me, we want to see your babies. If you have a tiny squishy baby, we have people who want to snuggle them. So bring them to us. But it's also the two-year-olds. We're actually teaching them how to memorize God's word for the first time and teaching them how to pray before their most important meal of the day, veggie straws. And then it's our three years old, four years old, and five years olds, five year olds, where we get to actually teach them how to worship God through music, and they get to hear the word of God preached to them. And not only that, we're teaching them how they can apply those concepts to their everyday life through activities. Yeah, and in a similar way, we get to do something very much the same, but a little different upstairs as those kinder through fifth graders. Um, everything that we do, we seek to th- uh, serve them by hitting three main principles. Number one, we want them to know who God is and what he's done for them. Number two, we want them to know that they have leaders who love and care about serving them. And number three, we want them to know that church is fun. It's a good time. We love what we do here. And that's why we have creative and crazy lessons that go into our um, teaching that day. That's why we have high energy worship that you can hear and the old building used to be able to hear it clear on the front row but we got better systems these days and then uh, we also get to have these intentional times of small group that they get to connect with leaders and they're engaged by the activities that we're doing we want to we want to seek to satisfy those three things because what we do is not just for those kids. We know that what we do is twofold. Yes, we, we serve them and we give them a great experience, but it's also for each of you in this room so that you can sit in on this experience and see what our worship team has, what Pastor Tim has and God's word that he's trying to share to you, free from the distraction of a little person tugging at your side, telling you that they're hungry and they're bored. Just send them next door. Give them to us so that they can have the experience created for them and you can begin to experience the life change and what's going on in here. And what we see is that life change as it grows. Um, We see families that are impacted heavily by what God is doing here. One family in particular that I can think of is my friend, the Haddock family. It's Greg and it's Carla and it's their sweet second grader, Reagan. And if you haven't met the Haddocks yet, you really need to because they are some of the most joyful, servant-hearted people that I have ever seen. They serve in many different ministries here with massive smiles on their face despite what the weather forecast outside says. Carla's on that cart driving you around to say thank you. Um, But what we see is a passion to serve. Like we talked about earlier, that passion is then passed down to a daughter who sprints up the stairs and cannot wait to get her worship on and to hear what lesson we've prepared that day. Carla and Greg are also really amazing about the way that they give generously. They are so, so generous and they create these um, ways to give back to the God that has given them everything. But Reagan's caught that vision. And I see a little girl who comes up with her little bit 
and she puts that in our little tithe box to give back to what God has given to her. And lastly, the Haddocks, they are diligent about inviting people, whether they know them or not. Everybody is going to hear about what is happening at GM. And because of that, I see a little girl who brings friend after friend and family after family. And I say, hey, how is it that you heard about GM? And they say, my friend Reagan brought me. That's passion on display. And that is passion passed down, just like we spoke about moments ago. Yeah, and how, what a win that is, that like other people they don't even know are sitting in the overflow of a family that loves and serves so passionately. And another win downstairs, other, some other wins downstairs, there's a lot of different wins, but a win could be a parent drops off their child for the first time. They've never dropped them off before, and they might be a little nervous, but they've actually sat in service. They sat down on their seat. They take a little, a big, deep breath. They've made it through the entire worship set list, the entire sermon, They took notes, made it to reflection without any distractions or a text message from back in the nursery because, guys, we got it covered. We have it covered. Absolutely. Another win are just like my friends Peter and April Tassani. Uh, they're amazing, and they moved here from Washington State and they a couple years ago, and they knew they were going to try out GM because Peter's sister Raquel has been a longtime member here. But you know, when you're trying out churches, you're trying to see, does it fit the vibe? Do we, is this, is this going to be the place for us? But very quickly, they learned, they, had, they moved here when they just had two kiddos. It was AJ and Rocco. Very quickly, they realized, oh, these people love our kids. They love them so much. And then Peter has even said, it's our volunteers who have just gone above and beyond to make sure our kids are loved and seen and taken care of, but also that they come walking, come up, come away knowing about Jesus. I know, he's adorable. It's amazing. But what a win is that? But what's even cooler is to see that come full circle and first service today, Peter was praying over another family because he knows it doesn't just stop with him receiving what God has given through him through Genesis Metro and Christian community community. He knows he needs to give that to other people because there are plenty of opportunities that people need to be connected with. And we really could not do this without the amazing help of our volunteers and GM kids. If you have not given them a high five, told them they're amazing, please do so because they go above and beyond to make sure that your kids individually are seen, taken care of, and they know that Jesus loves them with every fiber of their being. Yeah, like Jill said, we literally could not do what we do without the hands of all of our volunteers. We're just two people. And to run the ministries that we do, we need all hands on deck at all times. We could not love them more. (laughs) They do so much for us. And like Jill said, you might look at our teams and you might think, dang, that team has it going on. They've got it all covered. They don't need any help. I'm just going to go get my coffee next door. No, we need you. We need your help. So come on back. Come serve some kids. Um, We do have amazing volunteers that cover all bases so, so well. But Jill and I are always projecting for growth, for where we're going to be in the next season. And as we run the numbers that are steadily climbing, Every Sunday, we know what we need. For GM Kids Elementary, um, particularly, we have currently, on any given Sunday, about 70 volunteers. That's from sixth grade all the way to any age of adults that serve and love our kids so well. But there is room for our team to grow. We have room for about 90 people, adults through seventh grade, to come serve our kids. So I'm looking to add 20 to my team this morning. And if you're sitting there thinking, that could be me, but I love to sleep in. I'm telling you, that could be you. Come get energized by the kiddos that will just pump you right up in the morning. What about you, Jill? 
Yes, so downstairs, babies through pre-K, it takes about 28 people right now on a Sunday. You'll, any given Sunday, you'll see about 28 people, right? But we are growing so much, like Jordan said, that we actually need to open up more rooms, but we cannot do that unless we have people to help teach in those rooms. So we are looking to increase that number from 28 adults and students to 50 adults and students. And how amazing is that, that we are growing so much that we need to open up more rooms? I mean, come on, it's amazing. But some of you might be new here, or maybe you've been sitting around for a while and you aren't quite involved yet, and you've been praying or thinking, how can I get more involved at Genesis Metro? But how incredible could it be if this is, this is the answer to the prayer you've been praying? And there's nothing better than investing in the next generation. I think we can all know the world can be confusing. It's scary. It's full of anxiety and fear. How amazing would it be if you were another voice speaking into that child's life who's pointing them to the truth and encouraging them in a world full of noise? You're somebody else who's pointing to them, showing them love. How amazing could that be? So we excitedly await to talk to you after service. We would love to be that. We would love to talk with you and share a little bit more about what it looks like to serve downstairs or upstairs. You can find us out in the comments or send us an email. And we are just so thankful that we had the opportunity to get to share with you a little bit today about why GM Kids is amazing and so important. So now please welcome Pastor Tim to the stage. Um, the Bible says always to give honor to whom honor is due. And I think that um, all of the volunteers, along with our incredible pastors, Jill and Jordan, uh, do an incredible job of serving. Can we honor them one more time with a round of applause? They do a fantastic job. And um, a lot of our students end up kind of graduating to serving over there on Sundays. And that's because of the linkage that we intentionally create um, from Fuse um, to Sunday mornings and being able to serve. And it's a perpetual motion machine. And so it's a really great place for uh, students to learn to serve um, in addition to coming to church with their families on Sunday mornings. Um, so today uh, we're going to continue our series. It'll be a little bit of a shorter sermon uh, due to all the programming this morning. It sure is great to see all these parents uh, wanting to dedicate their children uh, to the Lord. I know that I did not have that foundation uh, when I was that age, and I know that many of us um, that are at Genesis Metro are trying to lay a foundation for our children that we did not possess when we were that age. And I always think of all of the things that I could have avoided if I would have just had a little bit of coaching, a little bit of Christian uh, direction in my life. And so I hope today that we can kind of uh, basically build up some of that foundation. I'm going to give you some warnings, some pitfalls as parents to avoid. Um, we're going to be covering Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be talking about the subject of authority, and we're going to be talking about authority issues, okay? Um, and in our society today, would you guys agree that some people have authority issues? Like we, we do not like people being in authority over us. I'll give you an example. If I told you, like, like I pointed at you and I said, get up and like move over there to that seat. A lot of you would be like looking at me like little man, like who are you to tell me what to do? And it's, it's an authority thing. Like we don't think 
some people are in authority over us. Now, if we go to the doctor and the doctor says, you need to do X, Y, Z, if we see them as an authority, then we obey. If they're our boss and we see them as an authority, then we obey. It's just interesting, whenever we come into church and we preach God's word, I just want you to start thinking, here's like a little question that's a premise, that's an introspection, little tic-tac landmine going inside your brain. Is God a consultant to you or is he an authority over you? Is his, is his word advice or is it law? And so I think that if you have an authority issue, then you see God's word as optional. But if, if you're under God's authority, then you see that as an ultimatum, like I must do what God says. Now, that doesn't mean we'll be perfect, but that's your aim. You know this. You know that these are the parameters around your life. And so we're going to get into authority issues, and I hope that it'll be a great parenting sermon, but I think the practical application will apply for all of us. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, children, obey your parents as you would the Lord. And the parents said, Amen. yes. He puts it right in there. Obey. Okay. Um, he said, because this is right. He said, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So when God was giving the Ten Commandments, this one had a promise attached to it. It says, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. This is one that I shared with my children on a regular basis. I would say to them... <laughs> If you will obey, then it will go well with you, and you will live long in the land. If you do not obey, it will not go well with you, and I cannot promise a long life in the land. Um, I would encourage you to begin thinking about that. All the people that are children in here, which is everyone, um, do you obey authority? What does it say about the recognition of authority over you? We had a pastor say one time at a conference, he said, we must get under what God has put over us in order to be over what God has put under us. All right, I want you to begin thinking about that. We have to be under what God has put over us in order to be over what God has put under us. So all parents in here, he has put children under your authority. And he's saying that God, he says, in the Lord, right? That God is our authority. So imagine trying to parent your children and guide them in the way that they should go. If you're not under God's authority, how can you be an authority over your kids? Because at the end of the day, it's your word and not his word. You see, in order for me to preach with authority, I have to be in submission to God. If I walk out here on this stage and I'm not under the authority of God, then I'm preaching to you in the power of my word. And the power of my word has no ability to impact transformation in your life. But if I walk out here under submission to God's authority, then I am preaching under the umbrella of his favor, of his wisdom, of his power, 
And then I am preaching his word. And his word has the power through his vessel to impact lives for all of eternity. But I can't do that unless I'm under authority. So this morning, I want you to begin thinking about, are you under God's authority? Are you choosing to live in a way that pleases him? How will you ever be in charge? How, husbands, if he's put you as the leader of your household, how will you lead the correct way? How will you lead your children the correct way? How will you lead your marriage the correct way if you're not under God's authority? And so it's impossible. That's the answer. It's impossible. It's impossible for you to do it the right way if you're not under authority. And for our society today and for you that are sitting in here that are like, you know, no one's going to tell me what to do. If, you, if, if God himself is not enough to be able to tell you what to do, then my friend, you are going to have a lot of pain in your life. He says there's two advantages to recognizing authority. He said that it'll go well and that you will live long in the land, that it'll go well and that you will live long in the land. Now, these are what we call general promises, general promises that God is saying that whenever you recognize authority, and specifically here with children obeying their parents, but obviously it applies to children of God obeying their heavenly father. He says that it'll go well with you and that you will live long in the land. And, and I would just assume that you want it to go well. I, that's my assumption. I, I assume that you want it to go well for your family. You want it to go well for your marriage. You want it to go well for your profession. You want it to go well in every area of your life. I assume that you want it to go well. And then I assume that you want to hold the land, live in the land, continue in the, what God has blessed you with. So we would have to ask ourselves some inference types of questions. If it's not going well, right? If it's not going well, is it possible that you have an authority issue? Is there an area of your life that's not under submission that's causing a problem in your life, causing a problem in your marriage, causing a problem in your parenting? And so we have to ask ourselves, if it's not going well, then what is the problem? He says that you might live long in the land. He literally is saying longevity is connected to obedience. Now, it doesn't mean that if someone, is everyone going to live along? No. Is a, if someone dies early, were they in disobedience? No. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that God is saying a general promise that you'll live long in the land. And as a matter of fact, it's interesting. I've heard this phrase, and so sometimes when I hear things over and over again, it makes me want to, okay, God's like trying to get something to me. I was talking with a guy this week, and I've heard this phrase no less than three times in the last month or so. Um, I was talking to people that are at Genesis Metro, and they've said to me that I should not be here. I should not be here because I, I lived a long part of my life in rebellion to God. I've only found God later in life. I have regret, and, um, and it, it is just amazing, and I'm thankful to be here. And I started thinking about that, and I was like, yeah. I said, I think that a lot of people can relate to that. It's amazing that some of us are here and we don't want our children, right, to learn the way that we learn. We want to give them a different set of circumstances because some of you, rebellion has taken several years, maybe decades off your life. Am I correct? Am I correct? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're like, Pastor Tim, but for the grace of God, right? I get it. I get it. But you don't want that for your kids, 
So if you want to have generational change, then something has to change. And so today I'm going to give you some of those, those tidbits. And before I do, I wanted to talk about one more thing about an advantage of recognizing authority and how that works for parents. Um, I'm going to put a quote on here. Um, this is my quote, but anyway, I like to put in quote marks just to change up the, the slide. Um, it's hard to hold things together when the home isn't right. Would you guys agree? Say amen. amen. Whenever the home's not right, it's hard. Everything is just harder. When mom and dad aren't getting along, man, you go to work, and it's like there's this thing going on in your brain, like a, like a broken record, right? It's just like going on. Whenever the kids aren't right, it affects the marriage. Whenever the marriage isn't right, it affects the kids. And then when either one of those are not right, it affects how you perform at work, whether or not you have a positive attitude when you go there. And so there's so many variables that are constantly at play. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that for pastors, it says if you cannot rule your own house well, how can you rule the house of God? If your family is not following you, then how would you get someone else to follow you? And so it's one of those rules. It's one of those rules for pastoring is that I, my household is held to a higher degree of accountability. I know. Can you imagine the pressure? Like I have three sons. And it doesn't mean that they're all like walking the gospel path from birth, okay? They're, so like they, they vacillate, they wobble, they make mistakes. And so you have to sit there and say, well, to them, like we're held to a higher level of accountability. There's a reason why God has called us to do this. And so we have to live, you know, we have higher expectations. And so that's a very tough line to go, to live by. And so, so if my family was not following my example, then the Bible says that I would be unable to lead you. Because if you saw my kids out here just doing whatever, posting whatever, saying whatever, you would have to ask yourself, well, how in the world is he a preacher, but his kids are living like that, right? There has to be consistency in order for you to have confidence. And it doesn't mean that my kids are right all the time. I promise you, if you hung out at my house during the, the dark ages, that's from middle school on, that's the dark ages, okay? You, you would not say like, oh, they're perfect children or they're perfect parents or that Carrie and I get along every single day. Now, I know when you hear that term and it says like a man does not rule over his own household, I know some of you instantly are like, no man is going to rule over me. I know. I hear you. I hear you. And we're not talking about like a caveman, like grabbing her by the hair and dragging her. I guarantee you if I tried that at my house, something is about to happen. I... But every now and then, you know, you got to, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just saying, I, it's a joke. Calm down, all right? Let's take it easy. But he's talking about ruling over his household in a, in a concept of leading. God has called the husband to lead the household with love, lead sacrificially. It says that the husband should love his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that's a type of love leading that any wife could get on board. Any child would love to be in a household like that. 
And I guarantee you this morning, if your house is not in order, it is causing friction, it is causing tension, it causes anxiety, it causes a lack of confidence. There's all kinds of depression, there's all kinds of issues that arise when the home is not in order. And I promise you that if you would start by putting God first, getting under his authority, then it will straighten out a lot of these crooked places. So I want to move on and I want to talk about four areas that I think are obstructions to authority. And if you imagine if you were in court and have you ever seen one of the shows where the witness tries to interrupt the lawyer or the lawyer tries to interrupt the witness, the, the judge will always bang the gavel and he says, you are, you're out of order. You're out of order. Okay. And whenever we are outside of the authority of God, we are out of order. So his word gives us the parameters that we live by. The next time that you guys are in a fight, I mean like a really good one, okay, husbands and wives, I just want you to slap the table and say, you are out of order, okay? <laughs> Send an email to info at <laughs> genesismetro.org. We'll get you hooked up with a counselor. There is something about us that just does not like authority. I want to talk about four things that I think children struggle with that lead them to life's, a lifestyle of disobedience. And I know that every parent here wants to keep their children's hearts protected. So I hope that you'll listen to me as we go through this. First one is modeling mishaps. Our behavior is inconsistent with God's word. The number one reason why children will disobey and will go a different direction is if there's inconsistency in the home. So if I say that we love God and God's word is true or whatever, or that I love your mom, uh, you know, I love you, but then I'm inconsistent. If I'm not consistently Loving my wife the way that I should, if sometimes I do things or say things that are inappropriate or disrespectful or even harmful or hurtful, if I'm not faithful in my marriage, then these things will create this undercurrent of inconsistency. And that inconsistency funnels down into the children, and the children start to say, if, if I can't trust this, right, if I can't trust this example, then I can't trust any example. And it jades them so that when now they're under someone else's authority, if they're at church or if they're at school or wherever it may be, they hear someone and they naturally distrust because the, the bedrock is the parental level. And if the parental level is off, then I can't trust anything. And so it, it leads them down a road that starts to gather information from other places. And so we need to have consistency in our modeling and otherwise our, our children are going to pick other places. And I'm telling you that I, I'm a unicorn, okay? I did not grow up in a Christian household. I should not be standing on this stage today. I grew up in a household that was far from God. I mean, just so far, so much sin was in my household and, and so many bad things that could have consumed me as a result of living in that household. And so I found God, God found me, and 
the, the odds of me becoming a preacher and, and producing generational change, those are all odds that are stacked against me. And I don't want my kids to have the same odds as I had. I want them to grow up in a loving home. I want them to know God early. I want them to avoid all the pain and the suffering that I endured as a result of being raised in an ungodly household. And, and I'm telling you, I got I to gotta be able to break this down for you. I mean, I started uh, dating this uh, uh, girl, and, and she was a cheerleader. I was a football player, okay? And, um, you know, she was Baptist, and uh, she brought me home, and I, I, am, I am the nightmare, all right? I am the nightmare scenario. I had a mullet, okay? I just want to start there. And I had a stud in my left ear, okay? And this was in a time where that wasn't necessarily normal, okay? And sometimes I wore a black trench coat and I had a skull ring. Judd Nelson from The Breakfast Club was my hero, okay? Very anti-authority, okay? And I imagine this, this, I mean, she was one of those nice girls that had never done anything and I was the prototypical bad boy, and like, imagine just me walking in your house. Now, to me, as the unchurched person, this was normal, right? I had no qualms. I didn't even know what I was stepping into, but I now know as a father looking on the other side, I would be like, what is this? What have you brought home to me? It would have been an instant red flag. That's the why you know it's the grace of God because I would have looked at me and said, no, no. And I'm talking, this, this guy was a deacon. His, his name was Doyle. I'm talking old school. I'm talking swoop over deacon, okay? And yet by the grace of God, I got to see what a Christian family looked like. They bought me my first Bible. And I got to see like, oh, praying over, it never even occurred to me to pray over a meal. How they interacted, the softness, like my parents were the Costanzas. <laughs> if you don't know Seinfeld, that didn't make any sense, but my mom was a screamer, you know, like, damn, damn, damn. Just didn't know it could be different. Don't you want to model for your kids the peace of God? Don't you want that model? Don't you want the love of God that's a bedrock? That disciplines yet encourages? I mean, there's, a, there's just a mixture there when we have the right modeling. And parents, if you are modeling inconsistently, how would you ever expect your kids to follow your example when you're not setting one? And so I just want to say to you that I think that we have to take God's word seriously. We have to get under his authority. And then we have to follow the path that God has created. The second one is rebellion. Rebellion is an issue. If you have strong-willed children, then rebellion is going to be their jam. Okay? Rebellion is refusing to submit. Now, this is not, I, like me, I was raised non-church. I didn't know better. This is, this is when you know better and yet you choose to not bend the knee to God. So Adam and Eve in the garden, they knew, right? They knew. God said, you can have everything. It's paradise. Paradise. It's amazing. I mean, to me, it's like a beach. 
and there's like a tropical fruity drink in my hand. I mean, it's just amazing. And he's like, you can have all of this, just not that. And yet, Adam and Eve chose to sin. And it says that the serpent tempted the, the wife, Eve, and she was tempted and gave in. And then she tempted her husband, and he gave in. And the onus, if you'll read the Bible, was put upon the man because it says that death and sin passed upon all mankind, not because of Eve's mistake, but because of Adam's. What does that tell us? That again, God is holding the men accountable for the direction of their family, for the decisions of their family. And so when we make mistakes, when the man refuses to submit to God's authority, when he refuses to lead the house the way that God would have him to lead, then all of a sudden it passes down these issues culturally in, in their family and relationally in their family. And it says that, that they knew and yet they chose differently. We think of the young rich ruler. There was this young man that came to, to God, uh, to Jesus, and he wanted to be a disciple. And Jesus said, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you can be my disciple. Now, this man apparently loved his stuff more than he loved Jesus. And instead of following after Jesus, instead of saying, yes, of course, I'd rather have Jesus than anything, it says that he walked away sad. He walked away with sorrow because he was unwilling to let go of his stuff. See, that's rebellion. If God says he needs something, if God says he wants something, and you withhold it, you literally are saying, I love this thing more than I love God. This morning, is there anything more valuable than Jesus? Is there anything that you're holding on to that you know you should let go of? This isn't like a maybe you shouldn't be doing this. This is you know you shouldn't be doing this. Rebellion is when you choose to do the exact opposite of what God has called you to do. Now, I know in that story earlier about me dating that little Baptist girl, some of you might be tempted, and I want to answer that temptation. You might say, well, look at how that worked out. <laughs> hey, God gave grace, okay? God gave grace, but just because grace was given when stupid choices were made doesn't mean you should choose stupid and hope for grace, because if for every one that worked out great, there's a thousand that went the other way, daughters that were corrupted and led astray by wolves like me. So you need to understand something that we should control, and that's going to lead to our next one, that bad company corrupts good morals. The wrong crowd, okay? The wrong crowd. Let's look at this verse. It says, you don't need to be, do, not, do not be deceived. We're going to put it up there. First Corinthians 15, 33. Okay, it'll get up there in a little bit. It says, do not be misled. That bad company, is it up there? Yeah, look at that. Bad company corrupts good character. Parents, I'm gonna empower you right now, okay? You better get ready to amen me, okay? You, thank you <laughs> for the advanced amen. You have absolute control 
of who your children hang out with. Until they leave your house, you have absolute control. And I will say unapologetic control. Because if your children are going to go astray, it's usually going to be because they start hanging out with a crowd that is running in a different direction. And if you as a parent are like an ostrich with your head stuck in the sand, and you're not going to look out for the jack wagons like me that are going, I was convincing people, like just as convincing as I am on this stage, I was convincing people the other way. Like, come on, I was always like the guy, like, you can do it. Yeah, come on. Jump that thing. Spam. <laughs> you know, there are so many of me out there that are trying to get your kids to go in the wrong direction. And so you have to have control of that. And you say, well, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be mean. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. It, it, their liking you is not as important as the safety of your child, all right? So if they aren't godly people, you don't need to let your kid go over to a sleepover. I can't tell you how many terrible things happen. Think about it when you were a kid, if you weren't raised in church, how many dumb things did you do on sleepovers, right? And I'm gonna say especially if there is an older sibling in the household. Sometimes the middle kid and the younger kid, they're, they're darlings, they're great, but that oldest one, they're sneaky, okay? I, well, you know what, I'm not gonna say it, just stop. When it comes to who your kids hang out with, you have to have absolute control. Now, are they going to like it? No. Do you think that my children growing up were like, thank you, Father, for not letting me go to the party where everybody else is. You have my best interest in mind. Bless you, Father. No, they hated me. They hated me. Titus has holes in his wall upstairs, found out later. He'd go upstairs and he'd punch the wall and he'd punch the pillow. Like, They're not going to like it. This has never been the game. If you were ever the foolish parent that thought that you were going to be well-liked for restricting your children from wanting to destroy their lives, that's not the game. The game is for you to be hated for seven years so that for 70 years, they could say, I love you. They could say, thank you. Thank you for loving more, me more than I loved myself at that age. All teenagers are destructive. Let's just talk about Snapchat. Just throw it on out there. Snapchat's of the devil. Y'all want to watch something really fun? If you have Snapchat on your phone right now, just take out your phone and uninstall it. This is the only time they're not touching their phones in church right now. It's just, just watch this interact. This is amazing, right? I love it. I love it. I love the uncomfortable, awkward, right? 
Why do they need Snapchat? You know that every kid's like, oh, it's the only way that we can like talk to it. No, it's not. It's the only way that you can get away with your sin. That's what it is. I would never, and I'm talking never, let my kid have that app on their phone. My one kid tried. The wall puncher. His name is Titus Andrew Bourne. And he was so clever that he created a Snapchat and it was Tandrew to throw us off the scent. At least you have that, parents. They're, they're still dumb enough that you can win, okay? <laughs> parents, don't give in. Don't give in. I don't care if 99 of their friends have it and they are the one that doesn't. Do not give in. It's like putting a loaded gun in their hand and hoping it doesn't go off. That a digital image of them that you would never want out there exists in perpetuity forever to embarrass them for the rest of their lives. And you could stop that if you wanted to. But will you be liked? No. Will they come up with all these reasons that do not matter? Yes, they will. And let me just say before they do, none of them matter. I got to keep my streak alive. I got my snap streak. <laughs> now, I know I talked to the kids. Let's talk to the parents now. <laughs> Bad company corrupts good morals. I wonder how many Christian families that are sitting in this room that you have no Christian friends that you hang out with. And I'm not talking about like they go to church somewhere. I'm talking about they're actually a Christian influence in your life. We kind of develop these BFFs that we hang out with on Friday night. You know, how, you know what I'm talking about. Like these people come over, you fire up the grill, Everybody starts drinking. Next thing you know, they get into a fight. Someone gets belligerent. Someone Ubers home separately. And you call that Friday, right? Now, these people, they're not trying to move forward in their Christian life. Not at all. But they're your BFFs. So how are you going to move forward if there's no one that is encouraging you on the journey? You see, there are some relationships that have to be offered as a sacrifice on the altar of you moving your family forward and doing things differently because it's hard whenever you're around a cesspool of people for you to maintain yourself. And I promise you, no one can. There's not one person. If I put you around salty sailors every day of your life, that it doesn't rub off on you. And so you have to create some kind of community in your life that is going in a different direction, that is living by a different code, that says, no, that's not appropriate. No, that's not okay. No, I'm not going to talk about other women and what they look like. I'm not going to talk about other men and what, I'm not going to constantly bash my husband. I'm not going to constantly bash my wife. I'm not going to let my kids just go to the hotel and rent a room and just pretend like nothing's going to happen on prom night. I mean, what are we talking about? Just say it. Parents, it's on you to control those relationships. And if you have consistency in your modeling, in the end you win. In the end you win. All right, the last one, the wrong desire. Now, this one is great for everyone in here for your theology, okay? 
Because in today's culture, we're going to get a lot of, if it feels good, do it. And if it's what I want, it can't be wrong. Does everybody understand that? Okay, now let's just let the Bible be the Bible here, okay? You listen. Read on the screen. Ready? It says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Does everybody hear that? God is not tempting you with evil. God is not tempting you to do things that are against his word. That's not God that's doing that. It says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. He says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So in today's culture, parents, you're going to have to guard against this thing where people are saying, oh, well, I love this thing. And if I love this thing, I love this way, then it must be okay because that's the way God made me. No, it's not the way God made you. God made Adam and Eve perfect, and they chose to sin. And as a result of sin, they wanted things that were outside of the boundaries that God had placed. And whenever we choose outside of the boundaries that God has placed, we are being drawn away by our own desires that are against God's desires, and we're outside of the authority of God. How can we ever please God if we choose things that are outside of the boundaries of God? We have to choose inside the boundaries. And he said, there's a lot of freedom inside these boundaries. I guarantee you, my family, we have fun. We have a great time. My wife and I have fun. My kids, we have fun. Nothing wrong with having fun. But it has to be inside the boundaries that God has placed. So whenever I sin, it's because I'm choosing to give in to my desire. I want my desire more than I want God's desire. For instance, let's say that a man is married to a woman. And then all of a sudden he starts loving, lusting, someone outside of his marriage. Is it okay for him to now leave that marriage because he loves something else outside of his marriage? No. Why? Because there's a boundary. God said that you chose this person, and that's the person that you're going to be with. Now, I know some people have gone through divorce in here, and I'm not saying that God doesn't give grace. I'm not saying that he won't give grace. He can't make it new. I know a lot of great godly people in here that have gone through divorce. I'm not saying that you can't go through divorce. I'm saying that we can all see that when I love something outside of the boundaries that God has placed that that's wrong. It says when sin is full grown, it leads to death. And how many things have died in your life as a result of you allowing your desire to supersede what God wants? So if you're ever wondering, is it okay for me to desire things outside of the boundaries that God has set? No. God did not make you that way. God made man perfect. We sinned. As a result of sin, we now want things that are outside of his boundaries. Christian discipline is, I say no to my desire, and I say yes to what God wants. Parents, I'm trying to give you a playbook here. When your kids come home and they say, no, I want this way, I want this way, and it's outside of the boundaries that God has set. You have to say, I understand that you may want that, but is that what God wants? And God, what God wants has to supersede what my desire is. I discipline my desires. Because we are no different than animals if we just placate our desires. 
So today I hope that you'll understand those are four things that every child is going to struggle with, and I'm trying to give you the antidote. It would be better to do it God's way. If you want it to go well with you and you want to live long in the land, parents, then you have to have discipline, and you have to be under authority. And I promise you, I've very rarely seen the case of two parents loving God, prioritizing Christian community, consistently modeling in their household that their kid goes off into rebellion. Very rarely have I ever seen that. But so many times I have seen inconsistent modeling, and then when the kids get to be teenagers, they start doing whatever they want because their parents did whatever they wanted. And now the parents want to reel it back in, and they say, Tim, what do we do? And unfortunately, you've already sown the seed that's producing the fruit. So the only thing you can do at this point is to start sowing a different seed and hope that that fruit catches up. Guys, let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, God, help us today to get under your authority. God, I want every parent in here to experience a win when it comes to their most prized possession, which is their children. God, you have blessed us beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. You've given us these gifts, these treasures, and we want to dedicate them not to my way, not to what I think, not to what, what, what's best in my eyes. God, I want your best for each and every one of their lives. And I pray, God, if there's any areas that we need to adjust, if there are any strategy course corrections that need to be made to today, God, we would say, I would rather, I would rather do it God's way. Even if I'm not liked at my house, I would rather do it God's way. And then when they're 20 and 25 and 30, I'd rather see, man, they chose a marriage that was pleasing. They cannot have to go through the pain of the wrong choice when it comes to the most important relationship on this earth. God, I pray today that we would honor you in your house. And the church said, amen. Would you stand and worship with us?